Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Erica and I will be talking about energy work practices. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're your hosts, the Mystic Sisters, Erica and Maggie. In this segment of the show, we choose a tarot card for the week, and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. For this episode, we chose the Seven of Cups. The theme of this card is reflection. When you look at the Seven of Cups, there's a lot going on here, and we can even see that the figure in the, at the front of the card is gesturing with one hand in a sort of surprised way, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed. What I get from this card is that the initial feeling of, wow, there's a lot going on here, as kind of the point. It's about the paralysis one faces from having too many options open to them and how important it is to make a choice and follow that through before switching to something else. Yeah, and when you look, there's a lot of hidden clues as well in the card. And to me, that's a reminder to look for intuitive nudges in your own life, and those will guide you to make the right decisions and the right choices. So one way to look at this is that there are a variety of paths that a person can go down. And I don't think it's fair to place any judgment over which one is the right choice because everyone has a different situation. But I think the point there is to look for any signs and hints from your intuition and what those mean for you. So do you have a Seven of Cups story, Erica? I do. I call this, I mentioned the the paralysis that we have when we have too many options. And I've kind of dubbed that for myself as the paralysis of choice. It's that idea of like, you walk down the cereal aisle and there's 500 different types of cereals that you can choose from. And you're like, well, crap, I don't know what kind of cereal I want. And you're like, should I get the healthy kind or should I get the lucky charms because they're yummy? And it's just so many things to look at and think about and decide on. This this actually happens to me a lot. Um, and I think it's related to my ADHD or my executive function stuff that if there's just too many choices available to me, then I get um, fainting goat syndrome. I, you know, like I just, I can't. And <laughs> the, the, I, I end up not making a decision and not doing anything. And for the longest time, I felt like that was just laziness on my part. Like I'd get couch locked and just be on my phone scrolling through everything and that I was just being lazy. But as I started to understand more about how my brain works and what ADHD can do and what neurotypical thought processes are, it helped me to kind of be like, no, I'm not being lazy. I'm just having this paralysis of choice and I need to be able to, I'm now able to kind of look at each scenario and way pros and cons. What about you, Maggie? What's your seven of cups story? Similar because I also have ADHD. So Having too many choices is often a detriment to me. For me, it's always interesting. Before I lived in St. Pete and even Portland, I guess, like having to choose off of a menu was easy 
because if I went to a restaurant, there would be one vegan option or one vegetarian option when I was vegetarian. And that was what I was going to have. So it made it like really simple. Like, I guess that's what you're getting. But now Mm -hmm. I live in a place where I can go to like six or seven different fully vegan restaurants, which is a really nice benefit of living where I live. But it it makes it hard that to the point where it's like, I don't know which restaurant to choose, let alone which item I'm going to choose. And I imagine this is how it is for people who eat not vegan diets <laughs> all the time. You just always have yeah. all these options. But I, I just recognize that this weekend, my husband and I were trying to decide where to go out to eat. He's really bad at making choices too. So it's always like, I don't know, somewhere with food. <laughs> and I was like, that's not helpful. But we we ended up deciding where to go because one place just happened to have points that were expiring. <laughs> so, oh, <nice. laughs> so it was still like the choice was made for us based yes. on something that wasn't necessarily what we wanted. It was just like, well, this makes it easy. So. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> that's kind of like with the signs. It's like, just follow the signs. Here's a hint. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Here's a hint. Here's the little bird in the background that's saying, you should pick this cup over here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so should we switch to our main topic for the week? Yes. We are going to be talking about energy work. And I have done several episodes that we'll kind of touch on in this episode. In the past um, episode five, I shared information about the chakras, the aura or energy field and practices like grounding, centering and shielding. And then in episode 12, I did another episode that was completely about the chakra system. And then Erica and I also did an episode on protective magic where we talked about shielding. So all of this is sort of encompassed in the energy work arena, but we're going to revisit some of that in this episode. And I'm going to try to not repeat myself too much because there is that information in previous episodes. But I also know that Erica has her own perspective to add to this. And uh, those episodes were kind of a long time ago. So I'm sure we can get something out of this information. So let's just talk about what we, how we believe that energy flows. Do you have an idea? Like, what do you, what do you think about? how energy works. I really like the yin-yang model. I like the concept of the earth up and heaven down energy and that one feeds into the other and vice versa and that they um, are constantly shifting almost. Like it's not, heaven energy isn't always in heaven because it's coming down to earth. And so then it's brought into the earth and becomes part of the earth energy and then is released back up into the heavens. So it's this constant cycle and flow of in and out and up and down. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a key for any like model of looking at how energy flows is that it is flowing in some way. And part of witchcraft is figuring out if you want to go with the flow or if you want to kind of stand in the flow and block it, or if you want to push it in another direction by redirecting it. I know when I read, when we read Spiral Dance with mom, there was that whole section on where she, where she analogizes. Is that a word? (laughs) I don't think so. It is now. You made it up. (laughs) She makes an analogy where the, where energy is like water flowing. And so you can kind of like, you can be a boat on top of the water or you can be a submarine 
beneath the water, or you can be a boulder in the middle of the water. And that just depends on what you are doing. There are certain times where the energy is flowing one way, like uh, for, for me, I see it with the moon phases that when the moon is increasing, getting bigger, the energy that you can work with is about attracting. But that doesn't mean you can only be attracting when the moon is getting bigger. You can just like reframe the way you're thinking about it, or you can like redirect that energy toward banishment if that's what you need to do in that moment. Figuring out how the energy is flowing and how you fit into it, and then deciding what you want to do with that. And I think that the moon by herself is a great example of that yin yang energy flow because of the way that the moon impacts the tides. Like we directly can see this heaven down energy and then the earth up, back up to the moon. If you're having trouble thinking about how this energy is flowing, you can that gives you kind of a tangible physical thing that you can see and experience. Yeah, like you can observe it. And, and you know, if you don't live near where you can observe the tides, you can look them up and you can see that. Or there's other ways that that energy is exhibited. Such as in kindergarten, children. Yes. <laughs> or if you work in a hospital, then you probably know when a full moon is. Or if you work as a bartender. <laughs> or if you're yeah. a werewolf. Yeah, can't forget the werewolves. <laughs> There's also the idea of he or chi or whichever culture you subscribe to that is that the energy within us and things like tai chi and yoga all tap into that to move the energy within our bodies so that it's not stagnant. Same with the chakras that gets that the energy which is the same energy. It's just this, the external energy versus your internal energy. Yeah. It's how it's flowing through you and how it's flowing around you. So in this episode, we want to share three additional energy work practices. And I say additional because of the three that I mentioned before that I already shared in episode five, which are grounding, centering, and shielding. I feel like these build on those, build on grounding, centering, and shielding, because those three practices are about your own energy and like having it in your in yourself. And the three that we're going to expand on that today are about where you can direct that energy and how you can move it outside of your body. So the way that I think about grounding, the word comes from with electricity in like a house, you have a grounding rod or a grounding wire. And when the electricity gets kind of chaotic or out of control, it's grounded and sent into the earth. And that keeps the house from short circuiting or having any sort of damage or starting a fire. And so if you think about that with your body, if you have an imbalance of energy, then you need to ground it by sending it into the earth and kind of recycling that out and getting new fresh energy. That is a good description of grounding. I think for me, it's it's the idea of planting roots and fixating myself to the ground so that I'm not pulled away with the energy. I'm not losing myself in the spell work that I'm still fixated to the ground. I'm still part of the earth. Yeah, that makes sense. It's sort of like keeping yourself on the ground so you're not, you know, floating away in your head or that kind of makes me think of like being more in your physical space and not in the like spiritual space. 
Yeah, and it's if you if you want to extrapolate out to fiction, you know, I think about what's popping into my mind is Avatar, where Aang, when he goes into the spiritual realm, you know, he's astral projecting, and his physical body is still there. It's still part of the world, and it's his anchor to reality. And that if he loses his body, then there's a danger of him becoming lost in the spiritual realm. So that's, you know, not really what's happening in our real world, in our real reality, but that's kind of how I imagine it, that it's keeping me just one foot in reality so I don't lose myself. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's about keeping yourself fixated to the earth and about recycling your energy so that you have fresh energy to use in your spell work. And then the other practice we wanted to mention before we share about new practices is centering. And centering, the way I see centering, is sometimes when we are going through the world, we have strong emotions, we're doing a lot of things, we're scattered. I know Erica actually mentioned before we started recording how many things she has to do today. So she might benefit from doing some centering after we leave this call. Basically, it's a way to call all of your energy back to your center in your body. The way I visualize it is that you're like the sun or like the center of a universe or the sun at the center of the solar system or something like that. And the energy is kind of like orbiting around you and it gets further and further away the longer you go before you center again. And when it's time to center, you just like use your gravitational pull and you pull it all back in. It's sort of concentrated. And when you do that, then you're able to direct it more easily because you have it all in one spot and then you can like send it this way or send it that way or send it to somewhere in your own body for healing or something like that. Yeah, I kind of am picturing like a ripple. You know, you you tossed a, a rock into a lake and the ripples spread out. So, you know, if you are that rock that got tossed into the lake and you're and you're sending your energy out and it's it's all day every day it's sending energy into work, it's sending energy into family, it's sending energy into hobbies, emotions, conflict, whatever, your energy is leaving your body all day long, all week long, all year long. And so what basically you're reversing that ripple effect, you're saying, nope, I need my energy back, come back to me. And you're just bringing it all back. (laughs) (laughs) Then it becomes like a whirlpool. Yes. (laughs) Like the rock went into the ground after you tossed it. Mm-hmm. and made a hole and now all the water is going down the hole and creating a whirlpool <laughs> there we go yes <laughs> yeah that's a crazy brain that I got <laughs> so before we share about our three new energy practices which are creating an energy ball charging an object and sending energy to other people but before we get to all of that We are going to talk about our herb of the week. This episode is brought to you by hops. We chose hops for this week because it's a very fall herb. It's, you know, the height of harvest season has, has happened and the hops have been brewing and stewing and being turned into beer and it's it's being prepped for the long winter months so as we are leaving Scorpio season we wanted to talk about hops and what it can do for medicinal purposes and then for the magical ones as well 
So I really also love this botanical name for it. It sounds like something that should be in our brain. It's humulus lupulus. It's very fun. So hops are antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, antiseptic, antispasmodic, and they are a diuretic and a nervine. And so again, nervine means that it acts on the nerves to kind of smooth them out. And it is a relaxant and sedative. Uses for these areas can be that it encourages sleep. It stimulates the liver by working as a digestive bitter. So if you take hops before a meal, it can help with that whole digestive system. It can decrease sexual desire in men because it contains photoestrogens. Also because of that, those phytoestrogens, it can help with menopausal symptoms. Topically, you can use it as an antibacterial wash, and it can also be used as a natural deodorant. It's one of those things where sometimes the commercial version is just better. I have not had very much success with hops as an as a deodorant for body odors, but I have heard of some success with it as kind of neutralizing other un- unwanted scents like trash scents or just dirty smelling old musty scents. Some cautions to mention are to avoid excess use during pregnancy and lactation because the effects of those phytoestrogens on children are unknown. They can also interact with some types of cancers. Again, with men, if fertility or impotence is an issue, you should avoid hops. And what are the magical properties, Maggie? Hops corresponds with the active energy, Mars, fire and water, and Scorpio. It is a very relaxing herb. It helps to bring about sleep. So one use would be to sew it into a dream pillow with lavender would um, be another calming, sleep-inducing herb. And it is also good for healing magic. So including it in your healing rituals, add it to a charm bag, turn it into an incense, burn it on a charcoal disc for healing rituals. One interesting thing about hops is that Beer is one of the oldest beverages that we have made beyond water. And traditionally, brewing was a woman's job dating back to the ancient Babylonians and Sumerians. Because of the division of labor in ancient societies, um, particularly hunter-gatherer societies, the men would go hunting and the women would gather the ingredients for cooking and making drinks like beer. And so brewing beer was a household chore that was typically done by the women. And so that's really interesting because you brew beer and there's this concept of the witch's brew. And um, so there's this association between witches and brewing beer. I thought that was kind of interesting that there's that associ- that word association with witches brew, brewing beer, and this use of hops in magic. Later on, men took over the task of brewing beer, but women still had a role in the beer brewing process. One famous woman who is associated with beer is Hildegard of 
Bingen, who is a German nun and was the first person to use hops in brewing and unofficially became known as the patron saint of beer. That's sort of when hops started to be used in the brewing process. I was reading this article about the similarities between witches and brewmasters, and so I'm going to share some of those similarities just because I think it's fun. In the 16th century, there was a beer brewer's hat, which I didn't know until I read this, but it was a black pointed hat and it could be super tall, like two feet tall, which sounds really funny to me. It was a way that those people would stand out in the in a crowd, but there's also that association with the witch's black pointed hat. And then uh, to promote sales, brewsters, or what this article is calling female brewers, would place their broom in front of a, their home or tavern, and that was a way to announce that the brew was ready. They also used stars, so pentagram, to rate the purity of the beer, um, because of course that was more of a concern for 16th century people during the times of plagues in the Middle Ages. And another comparison is that they would keep cats in their brewing area to protect the grains from mice. So there's that association with cats. But of course there's also when you produce beer you have to have a very extensive knowledge of herbs and mixtures. So of course that is common with witches. We talk about herbs all the time on this podcast. So of course we ha- we are sharing this knowledge of herbs. How very interesting. I love little witchy tie-ins like that that explain where our history came from and where the stereotypes started. Yeah. Well and and the fact that I mean this just gives us another perspective of of witchcraft. For one thing, it's just like regular people, just another type of regular person, a brew beer, a beer brewer has these associations with witchcraft. We've seen like healers who have this association with witchcraft. So it gives me more of a connection to how we practice as modern people because we're just regular people doing what we do and also practicing witchcraft, bringing our what we specialize in, what we are knowledgeable about into our craft and that there's not just like one way to be a witch. All right. So as promised, we said that we would teach you a few other ways to use energy in your spell work. So the first way we wanted to talk about was an energy ball. And an energy ball is quite literally a ball of energy. And it's usually formed between your palms like a little snowball of energy, all crackly and spiky. Once it's made, it can be programmed with intent. So for example, you could program it with peace or love, happiness or confidence, or even anger if you're into that. I'm not, no person here. But Maggie will describe a method for forming an energy ball. So I think it's important to start by grounding and centering, as we talked about before the the hops discussion, and then to sort of relax, take some deep breaths. And then the way that I make energy balls is to rub my hands together vigorously, and you start to feel this warmth and friction between your hands. You sort of tense and relax your arms and really get into it. <laughs> and then while you're doing this, you imagine energy between your hands. So imagine that that warmth and that friction is setting off sparks or is changing colors or 
um, however you visualize that energy building. And then once you feel like you've sort of done that for long enough, it's usually like maybe a minute, maybe less than a minute, you start to separate your palms so that they're about, you know, three to five inches apart and you can visualize the energy ball forming. But just keep your palms facing each other and so as, with that distance between them, like three to five inches and start to make alternated scooping motions. So you're sort of, it's like you're making a ball, a snowball or making an ice cream ball or, or making a sand ball, but you're just like forming it. You're molding the ball and you can start to experiment with moving your hands further apart slowly and moving them closer and sort of feel that resistance and that pull of as you pull your hands apart, feeling it resist. And as you move them closer, feel it. it's like a magnet. And then at some point, you'll find a distance that feels right. That's like, this is comfortable. I don't feel like it's pulling. I don't feel like it's resisting. This is the right energy ball size. And this is how it looks. And this is how it feels. Just practice with this until you feel really comfortable with how it feels to hold this energy ball. And then you can program it. And so we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, Erica, why would you even want to do this? Why would you want to make an energy ball? Because you can charge it with something, with anything, any intention. So basically, this means that you're telling the energy ball what to do or filling it with a certain feeling. And like this like little drone that you're just like filling up with the feeling that you want to put out in the world. This little creature of energy that is, you know, going to go out and do something. And so you could do calmness or peace. You could do happiness, love, comfort, confidence. And you can pro program it with a low vibe emotion like anger or sadness as well. Sometimes I like to do that if I'm feeling sad or angry. I will put that sadness and anger into the energy ball and I'm not sending it to another person. I'm just getting it out of me. That anger is better out in the big world than inside of me. And, and when you have those sorts of emotions outside of you as well, I find that it's easier to observe them and sort of learn about them too. So it gives you this <laughs> opportunity to like, okay, I can objectively look at this and I'm not, I'm not like feeling it so intensely anymore so it's not affecting the way that I am analyzing what's happening and figuring out why I'm feeling that way now I can just like look at it with a scientific mind like what is this <laughs> to charge your energy ball you do some more visualization the most common way that I visualize charging the ball with the intention I have is by changing the color of it so associating a certain intention with a certain color you could also change the temperature or you might change the consistency or the smell or the sound just based on what you want it to do and so that's I think just an experimentation thing of how you want to experiment with it and then you can use the energy ball however you want so maybe you just want to bask in its presence maybe you want to send it to somebody else or maybe you want to take it back into your body. You know, you can also think about changing the energy as well. So if you're putting your anger into it, maybe it feels hot and red, 
you can sit there like Maggie was talking about and analyze it and think about it. And as you're analyzing it, change it to comfort, change, change the color, change how it feels. And then you can take that energy back in. So it's, it's been transformed into something helpful instead of harmful. I also like sending it out to people. There's a Bitmoji where um, they're in like a shoving posture and there's energy, like there's a white light coming out of their hands. And I use that one constantly when somebody is upset or needs comfort because I'm like, well, here's a hug or um, love attack. And, you know, because it's like a very forceful bitmoji picture and um if you haven't seen it or used it before i highly recommend it because it is just (laughs) this is that's what this is it's like you have no choice i'm sending this to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so that that's what i consider to be a blessing uh sending you know beneficial programmed energy to somebody And you could do it in the form of this energy ball. You could take your energy ball, like we've been talking about it, charge it with what you want to send to somebody and then like throw it to them or throw it at them. (laughs) Like Erica was saying, Um, you could also do sending energy in other ways, like using your hand, like your fingers or, or pointing a wand or something. So there's a lot of different ways that you can send energy, but I think the energy ball is the easiest to visualize because it's like your vis- you have like a physical thing and then you throw it. <laughs> it's very versatile. You can program the energy with anything that you want and you just send it on its way. And it's like a homing pigeon. It knows where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. It knows. You you tell it. That's how it knows. <laughs> it knows. Yeah. It's not going to get lost and accidentally go into somebody else. It'll find its way to whoever you're sending it to. Yes. And of course, you can do this with more baneful, harmful, intentions you through cursing or hexing that's obviously not a blessing it's a curse or a hex and so if you want to be malicious and send that energy to another person for whatever reason then of course you that this is the same process you would send your fill your energy ball with your rage and send it on its way if you if you don't have any problem with baneful magic such as directly cursing a person then I respect that choice and just do that (laughs) It's one thing, like some people, they just need a curse. Like they're just not helpful people and they need a little bit of a taste of their own medicine. For me personally, I, I prefer to do like a binding, which we've talked about before, or, um, and which is more about protecting myself from them or as a more passive aggressive approach too, I might take that, you know, I talked about earlier changing the emotion. Um, so I might take that rage that I have at that person and change it into a, I hope that they can find healing and send that to them instead. And then in, in some ways that can end up being a curse for them because something could happen in order for them to find that healing that they have to change something significantly or something significant could happen to them. You know, anytime that you are doing something to another person, you run the risk of a good intention being not executed the way you wanted it to. Practice caution and make sure your intentions are very clearly spelled out. 
Yeah. And I think that's important too, for recognizing that with the blessings, you might send blessings to somebody with this intention, but you, you don't really know exactly how that's going to play out. There's always a care involved, whether you're sending a blessing or sending a curse. We can try to do things with the, with the purpose we have in mind and try to figure out what potential consequences could come out of it. But you never know. That's just how it is with magic. Unpredictable and wily. We just do our best. <laughs> so the final energy practice, energy work practice, is sending, ob- sending energy into an object. So very similar process as everything else that we've discussed. You can create an energy ball and instead of sending it into yourself or letting it dissipate or sending it to a person, you just kind of push it into an object that you want to charge. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, the most obvious version of this is to put it into your, your crystals to store that energy for subbell work that you might need to do later putting energy into some sort of conduit, into your wand, into anything, really, anything that might be laying on your altar that you want to store energy for use at a later time. And we say the word charging, but there's a lot of different words for this. We're also talking about like empowering or programming or enchanting. But when you're doing this process, it depends on what you plan to do with it. So yes, you can use it to store energy for your spell work later. You can also give that object the purpose of, you know, if it's your cauldron, it has the purpose of being a vessel for your mixtures or for holding your um, burning materials or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about our mom um, makes prayer shawls for people in her church. Both our parents do it. Every single stitch that they make is charged, enchanted, prayer, prayed upon to bring comfort to whoever the recipient is. And they don't, they don't necessarily know who this recipient will be. It's a, it's a unknown other person. They just know that somebody is going to need comfort and somebody will receive this blanket. And so as they are making these shawls, they are thinking about comfort for that person person. Yeah, so that's an example of, you know, storing the energy in this object in the knots, that's a form of knot magic, what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um storing it in that for later being sent to another person. Um mm-hmm. so that's kind of a combination of what we were talking about. A combo, yeah. And now objects already have purposes. Um so that's something to keep in mind when you're charging them, like for the crocheting or the knitting that Eric was talking about our parents doing. The, ne- the needles have the purpose of knitting and they have the properties of being made of metal or wood, depending on what they're using. They have the energy of being creative because they create something, they're pointed. Um, so they have the energy of like getting straight to the point. So there's already a purpose in every object because it was made to do something. And then you can charge it with something further, like you can charge it to for, for the knitting needles to continue that example, to have the more precision with the knitting, to be more precise or to um, help you with being calm, to calm you as you're creating this thing. So you can char- charge objects with a new purpose in addition to the thing that they already have. I like the idea of charging it with a feeling for yourself 
And I'm thinking of that, you know, we were talking about crafting and the knitting needles, but a kitchen utensil or a bar of soap or, you know, any kind of thing that you want to have a particular outcome happen from that dish, from that bath, from that uh, whatever you're doing, it gives you just a little extra energy for fulfilling that need. Yeah, exactly. And then, and that's kind of brings up the idea of like glamour magic, where you charge your makeup or you charge your lotions or you charge your soap, like you said, to help you to put on a certain mask of what you want to put out into the world. So that's like another example, I guess, of charging Mm -hmm. something to help you to, you know, be the person that you want to be in the world. And so some specific examples of enchanting objects are uh, talismans. So talismans are putting something out. It's like a projective object that you charge. And then an amulet is another specific type of enchanted object that is more for protection. So it's kind of deflecting things that you don't want near you. Um, So those are like specific names of things. You've heard those terms before. But again, anything can be charged with an intention. When one says talisman or amulet, particularly with amulet, I think people think of a necklace. But my favorite version of an amulet is a child's blanket or teddy bear. And I feel like that is one of the most powerful protection amulets because that kid unknowingly is putting all of their love and hope and desire for protection into those objects. And it, and because it's so strong, it can carry for many years. Um, it can carry through. I think that's why there's so many stories of um, scary stories of haunted dolls and haunted things because that energy is so strong that if a trauma occurs with that amulet, then it can turn nasty very quickly. Mm. So that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think that that definitely makes sense. There's a lot of TikToks out right now of people sharing their baby blankets. And so many of them are just like a string because <laughs> people it's, have yeah. carried it with them their whole life. I still have mine. Um, I have mine. It's a little ducky. And mine's actually pretty well taken care of. It's got yeah. stains and rips. But, you know, think about each of those rips as um, releasing some of that protection. Like it ripped because you needed something. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say about crystals is when they break, it's done its job. So you've mm-hmm. set it to do whatever purpose that you've wanted it to do. And if it breaks, especially if it's sort of like, you know, it's not because you dropped it. It's it's just suddenly it has a crack and it broke. Um, it's done what you set it out to do, what whatever yeah. that intention was. We are celebrating goddesses this season and by asking them to bring their theme into our lives for the week. Let me just shuffle my legendary ladies deck, which was made by Anne Shen. We will find out who our goddess is. Today we pulled Shi Wang Yu, who is a Chinese mother goddess, and her theme is renewal. 
Goddess Shi Wang Mu shares her secret elixir for eternal life and renewal with you. Take this chance to either start over or put extra effort into what you're focused on. So Maggie, how will you invite renewal into your life this week? This is a very fitting one because we're, we're coming to the end of Scorpio season. Next week, we're going to have Sagittarius season and Scorpio is about renewal and transformation and rebirth. Um, so it's kind of like a good timing. I think it is time to plant my garden, which is weird for people who don't <laughs> live in Florida, but got to yes. um, replace some of the plants that, you know, do well in the summer, but they're ready to die back because it's colder, but it's still warm enough to grow quite a few things. So I can do um, like leafy greens and things. So this is a good, I guess, invitation to renew my winter garden, renew my garden and prep it for the winter things. We just had daylight savings time end. And so we're back to standard time, which is where we should just stay. We should not spring forward again. We just need to stay here. During daylight savings, I was getting up at like 6.45 um, because I just didn't want to crawl out of bed. It felt too early, but now my body is feeling like it's awake at around 6.20. And so I'm able to get up at like 6.30. And the last couple of days that I've been able to do that, it's amazing what 15 minutes does for my morning. And so I'm going to try to renew and continue that routine, getting up and having time in the morning because I think that my routine was worn down and worn out and needed some revamping. Renew it. I'm renewing my routine. So we also want to hear from you. If you go to witchwanderer.com, you can answer this question as well. How will you invite renewal into your week? And you'll earn five mumble coins. So as I mentioned, next week we are moving into Sagittarius season and the card that we will be using for the beginning part of our episode is the Knight of Wands. So the Knight of Wands is a very knighty knight. (laughs) He's very daring. So you think about a knight and you think about someone who's just gonna come in and save the day, sort of impatient and immature and very passionate about what he does. But they kind of have extremes of good and bad qualities. They're very good conversationalists, but they also brag about themselves. So they're very, you know, self-assured, self-confident, but they can be vain. They are charming, but they can be insensitive when it comes to somebody else. They're seductive, but also full of lust. They are enthusiastic about things, but they also tend to overpromise things. They're constantly like, oh, that's going to be so awesome. I'm so excited about it. But then they don't follow through with that plan. Basically, they're just extremes on all fronts. And we are going to talk next week about somebody that we know who's sort of like this or a t- or parts of ourselves that we feel like we see this in when we come back next week. And if you have a story about the Knight of Wands, then send us a voicemail at we listen at talkwitchcraft.com. 
You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash zero four five. Join us next week when we talk about making the most of Sagittarius season. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast and that way you will be notified each time that we have a new episode and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other witches find the show. It tells the algorithm gods that we are important and you like us and it helps the show grow so we really appreciate it you can also find us on instagram at mumbles and things and join us in the mumbles academy to chat about this episode with other witchy folk bye-bye bye i'm really sleepy (laughs) you can't be sleepy talking about energy work i gotta wake up (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not that kind of energy anyway